Hey, I'm Mitch Stocker, and thanks for tuning in to Life in the Peloton. The Giro's right around the corner, so I thought this time it'd be great to hear from a Giro debutant, Teo Gegenhart. Um, he's just come off some amazing winning form at the Tour of the, Tour of the Alps in Italy, so I thought, you know, with the Giro around the corner, he's looking good for a little surprise result there, and it'd be great to chat to him and just discuss his goals around the race. Teo is also a born and bred Londoner, East Londoner actually, and I find it amazing that he was able to make it as a pro growing up in that big city. We chat about that, review the race a little. So I hope you enjoy Teo Gagenhart. Welcome, Teo, Gagenhart. <laughs> We're up in Sol Day on the eve of the Giro, and I've had the pleasure of training with you in your final preparations before you head off. And when we were out there training the other day, I was asking you, would you like to come on the pod? Because I thought it'd be really interesting as you are about to go into your second Grand Tour, first being last year at the Vuelta. Um, we rode there together had some nice moments, and then now you're going into your second Grand Tour, which I think is really beautiful going into the Giro, and I want to discuss that with you afterwards. But first of all, I want to talk to you about who you are, um, where you've come from, and how you've been to where you are here now today. And I think it's really interesting, and maybe it's not so interesting for everyone else, but I think it's interesting that you're a Londoner, and I don't know many cyclists that are from London, London, you know, they're English and I never really hear that many people are from London and I think more um, special is that you're from East London, it's a place that I like to go to now but I think back in the day East London was not East London as it was back then so I'm moving forward, welcome to the podcast and tell me a little bit about yourself, where you've come from and um, that what I was just talking about. Well, thanks for having me, Mitch. Um, you failed to mention that I'm a, a listener as well. Which, that's right. Yeah, maybe that goes without saying, maybe that's your <laughs> prerequisite to be on the podcast. But. No, not at all. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, only the big questions there, I guess, only the, the important ones. Um, yeah, I mean, in pro cycling at the moment, I'm the only, only person from London which is pretty strange when you think there's north of 12 million people living there. Yeah. Um, but I guess speaks for itself. Um, not that the city doesn't have a lot of history with the sport either. I mean, the the first place that I grew up racing was a track in South London, actually. We used to ride there on our on our track bikes through um, rush hour traffic with a front brake on. Original fixies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, and we'd take the front brake off when we got there, race the track league, and, and then ride how, home. How did you do that, actually? How do you, how do you put a front brake on and off so easily? Uh, you just drill. You just have a single mount. You just go in the back of the oh, fork. Oh, you just, just screw yeah, it on? Yeah, 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 just screw it on. Yeah. Um, obviously, you're not allowed to race on the track with it. And we'd have a 
like a handlebar top, like almost like you see in cyclocross um, on the cool. on the top of the drop. So actually, some of my best best memories are from those rides back across London, and and there was another another place where they used to race F one when they when the cars were small. It's mm. a, a park in Crystal Palace, which is an old royal famous palace, like a stone throw from this this other velodrome, which is. Uh, the Olympic Velodrome from 1948. Yeah, right. A uh, big outdoor um, concrete track. Um, and those memories of riding back across central London with that, I'm sure you'll know the same. I guess a lot of your races are early morning in Oz. Yep. These ones are kind of after work evening races, but that euphoria of like a good race, uh, a London summer evening is beautiful. The sun setting, the city like quieting down for the night, but then you get the contrast of like, yeah, going over London Bridge or or one of or Tower Bridge, um, kind of really quiet, and then you'll come to like Shoreditch or into the city, and the the pavements are overflowing outside all the pubs and stuff with with people having their so after work pint or or ten. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of history, and obviously now we have the Velodrome. Yeah, we have the Olympic Legacy Event Ride London, which I guess you might have done. Yep, um, which is over the other side of London from from me. But yeah, it's a, an amazing event as well. And and there's lots of tracks Eastway, which is where the the velodrome was, is where mm. Brad uh, grew up racing, and, and a lot of guys. Um, and they used to have a big race there. I think in the in the seventies, Eddie Merckx and, mm. and some big names raced there. It was like a one point something kilometer kind of rolling rolling track on the, on the marshland so there's a lot of history but at the moment i'm the only one there's a young guy on the track squad ethan hater he was actually up the road in yorkshire today uh, doing an, an impressive ride for a bit or in, in general he's world champion on the track mm. uh, he did a stagiaire for sky last year so yeah i, I would say it's a matter of time before he's a pro and he's, he's also from london he is but he's from south london which you know, yeah. aside from those few <laughs> beautiful races, is dead to me. Uh, it doesn't really exist. <laughs> South of the river is not. Yeah, it's another world. So well, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. but no. Uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't easy growing up. But we, it's kind of a weird juxtaposition because it was super hard to train. Mm. And when I look back, I don't know how I did it. I couldn't. I couldn't do it now. Even now, when I go to London, I find it really hard, especially with the the traffic, the pollution. Really mm. gets to me. It, uh, it really kills my lungs if I do more than a few days. Um, but in contrast, there was just so much racing. Mm. I, I used to race Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night. And then if I wasn't going to Belgium on the weekend, which was a two and a half hour drive away mm. for a double commess, yeah. then I'd do another uh, elite circuit race on the weekend. So you only had to just do small recovery rides here and there? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I think as I, as I got a bit older, I obviously raced a bit less, like when I was a junior. Mm. And I kind of was more... Yeah, like obviously more focused on bigger European races, um, Nations Cup, like the, the World Cup is for juniors called the Nations Cups and, and other stuff like that. So I guess it, you know, it always changes. But definitely mm. when I started, I felt like I was late to the sport. Mm. Like on the national team, there was a lot of guys who had family history in the sport. They've been doing it since like seven or eight or, or even younger, some of them. And I felt really late. But I also felt like I caught up very quickly with the mm. mix of... I would quit. I, I pretty soon was racing with the uh, the men, yeah. Uh, like at least three times a week, and then in Belgium was just like that was the next level. Like racing two hundred and twenty rider under sixteen races is insane out there, yeah. but it's the best place to develop without a doubt. Yeah, it was like either do or die. Yeah, and it's where you learn to really just get stuck in, and you have to be well positioned. Everyone's on youth gearing, so 
you know, your legs are important, but they're not everything. Mm. I think now is, is definitely important. You know, if you do 40K an hour average on 52, 16 it is as a youth, as on 16, then you really need the leg speed as well. They're pan flat races. You need to sprint. Yeah. Someone said to me the other day, oh, when did you learn to sprint? And I was thinking, wow, when I was like second year on 16, I won quite a lot of races in a, in a group sprint, but you know you had to you had yeah to be, of course exactly I had you this, have to win yeah I had this conversation with someone the other day and we are talking about guys becoming professional I had this comment I had this feeling that in Australia there's guys there's a bit of a team culture now and people are trying to become good domestiques and things like that and I'm thinking you can't become a professional as a domestique in the amateur level you have to already be a winner like you said you have to learn how to win before you become professional and then find your role after that so yeah, I agree. Yeah. and I think also if you're not good enough to win at the lower levels then yeah the fact of the matter is that maybe pro cycling is not for you because we all know that the the world tour I always try to explain to people the difference between point one and world tour yeah and it's and and now we have this even double world tour of like you hear pros saying real world tour and, and <laughs> like new world tour yeah, or yeah, fake world true. tour, you know, when, when not everyone's there. Yeah. Um, oh, no, Turkey, that's not a real world tour race, but it is. Yeah. But it's not. It's not one of the old ones. Yeah, yeah and you yeah. try to explain the difference and it's just impossible to explain. It's, yeah. It is night and day. For me, in my opinion, it's night and day. Yeah. You have, to, you have to have done some racing to understand the little intricacies. Yeah. You need every... I think everyone needs to go to Tour of Basque in their life and do like... For the number geeks out there, let's say like 25 minutes more than six watt per kilo, you're like, oh, this is really hard. You look round and not one guy's dropped. <laughs> or maybe one unlucky guy who's been flicked in at the last minute. He's oh, like, he crashed yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, he's like an 80 kilo classics rider. <laughs> and even he's a good climber. Yeah, like, probably easier. Yeah. If he didn't have to race, he'd be flying. It always makes me laugh when you see people saying, oh, like sprinters can't climb, like amateurs saying that because it's just, yeah, it's not true. I do love the one thing you just said before and something that's still sitting in my mind is that that image of you riding home on the track bikes in that sunset, it reminds me a lot of Australia when, because we do a lot of criteriums in the summer and you go with a group of guys, you ride to the criterium, you finish the crit and you just ride home and like you said, it's like this euphoric sort of feeling. You've got, you've done the race, everyone's finishing work, they're having drinks and you're cruising home. That was a really nice sort of thought I, that left in my mind there. Was it, were yeah. you cruising back with the group there or did you just... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, would, it would always be like a couple of us um, from Hackney yeah, um, going back and we had our routes and yeah, we'd, I, I don't think I've ever felt as good on a bike as those rides. Maybe that's nostalgia talking, but yeah. there's something... I always had this weird thing where I'd ride to the, the races and, and there was a few. There's a circuit in North uh, East London... Uh, about an hour they were all an hour's ride away mm. basically and there was four different ones um so we'd have obviously they, they were kind of spread across london there's another one just right next to heathrow as well mm. um and some rides were nicer than others definitely that track one that i was just talking about was the nicest kind of going over the river but yeah there was a few of us that would always always ride there and i'd always feel awful riding there mm. i'd always oh my legs are you know you've been at school day or, or yeah i've been at school day and i'd always think oh, i just i don't feel good and then, yeah, you'd race, and of, of course, you feel great. But then the ride home, it's just that, it's a release, I think. Yeah. Like, athletes, you know, even at that age, you really want to win every race. is so important for you. And I think you get that euphoria of, of racing, and, and then there's something about that, yeah, like you say, the, the evening. 
I don't want to paint too much of a romantic picture because it wasn't without its issues. There was a few dodgy moments. One time a friend had a two guys on a Vespa push him off his bike and he was super lucky that there was a parked car next to him and he literally slid along this parked car while I was pedaling his track bike <laughs> and somehow didn't crash. He just clean wiped the wing mirror off. <laughs> I won't give away the location in case <laughs> 10 years later that guy's still looking for yeah, right. his wing mirror. But yeah, I think, you know, riding in big cities, I'm, you know, it is the same in Australia. I don't, mm. don't even need to question that, but it doesn't come without its dangers. Mm. But there's something, for me, I grew up like, I started racing when I was 14, mm. but by that point, I'd been riding bikes in London for yeah, 10, 11 years. Mm. And for me, before I started racing, it was transport. Mm. And riding a bike in the city is amazing. I think it, I'll never stop doing that, definitely. Yeah. For, for a city person, it's by far the, yeah, the best mode of transport. And, uh, and then after that, it was also like a mode of transport out of the city. Yeah. That was how I fell into, into love with cycling, was just... Yeah, we, I left the city every time I went on my bike and I discovered new places. new places. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is a massive cliche, but there's there's a reason for that mm. because it is something special, especially as a young person, like the freedom. Mm. All right, well, talk, take me on. We'll go to the next thing I wanted to talk to you about was once you started getting into the amateur level, and I'm sort of fast-forwarding a bit here, you are riding then for Axel Merckx's Bissell team um, over in the States and a pretty – renowned team coming through for guys in the under 23 ranks um and i thought there was i heard this interesting story a friend of mine told me about it and i went and did some research myself to find out if it was actually true and there was this period there where you were going well and you had an opportunity to stagiaire with sky and at the end of that stagiaire in 2015 sky offered you a contract and from the story that I know, you went, you know what, I'm not going to take that. I'm going to go back and race one more year under 23. And then, I don't know if you said this, but I'll come back and, and I'll sign the year after. Tell me about that little story there because most under 23s or amateurs or anyone, if they get even a glimpse of trying to turn pro, whether it's Sky, whether it's any team, they're like, you know what, I'm just going to take it. Run me through what happened there. Yeah, so... Yeah, I did, like you say, came onto the team. Um, for those listening, the team's now called called Action Hagen Berman, uh, still owned by by Axel. Um, and I'd done the track in juniors before and, and been on the GB program for two years, Track Worlds. Um, in the second year, was at home in Glasgow. And yeah, it didn't really go great. Actually, the Aussies absolutely battered us, like to, to smithereens, they're on another level. Um, and I kind of just was faced with that reality check of like right I really believe that these two sports are diverging more and more and I need to specialize in one mm. and which one do I love more essentially and yeah it was night and day that the road was for me and it definitely suited me better as well um so I yeah luckily from the results I'd had at Roubaix and winning a few races in Europe and stuff and then another one I, I uh, won in Italy in September Axel offered me a contract and that that situation actually the reason I say it, it mirrored what happened two years later quite well in that there was quite a lot of pressure for me to follow the more beaten path um, onto the GB Academy, which is under twenty three program, uh, where the likes of Simon Yates, Luke Rowe, uh, G Thomas, Cav, all, all those names were. Um, but at the time, 
it was kind of going through a transition period, I think it's fair to say. Mm. Um, and maybe that transition period really continued until now that uh, Matthew Bramley has taken it over yeah. uh, at the reins. And yeah, I think that it had some up and down years. So I kind of got this offer from Axel and it was, a, in my opinion, the best on the 23 team in the world or certainly one of. So I took it. And uh, Did you think, sorry to interrupt, did you think at that time, looking at the GB program, you were just like, you weren't happy with what they were doing there. You're like, it's not really for me. Yeah, and, or and you even had the, some advice from someone about. Um, I remember Cav told me to. Axel was his first ever roommate going years back on T-Mobile, so they had a good relationship. Um, and I remember there was one ride I did with Cav in in the UK where he said, "Yeah, I won't try and imitate his Manx accent," but he basically yeah. said, uh, "F bomb, you'd be mad not to take that yeah. F bomb opportunity." Yeah. Um, and he was right. And in the end, it was a great decision. Like Even now, it was one of the, the best decisions I've ever made in my life. Um, I mean, straight away, 18 years old, I got to do, in my first season, I did California, Tour of Utah, Tour of Britain. Mm. And then I got to do a lot of big under-23 races like Roubaix, Flanders, uh, Liège, um, uh, yeah, loads. Just the ideal Endless. program. Yeah, actually. exactly. It was, 30, it was basically a 50-50 mix, about 30 race days of pro, 30 of under-23. Wow. Um, which maybe cost me a few wins is the only downside in terms of, obviously, I was getting a battering in California as an 18-year-old. Yeah, but um, learning so much for the, then the under-23 races. Yeah, but also I think learning for pro racing. Mm. It's easy to be, not easy, you can be good at under-23 races, doesn't mean you're good as a pro. Mm. It's such a different ball game. It's, yeah, it, it turns into a full job and like, you know, half or more of a team, you're not there to win, you're there to, to help. Yeah. yeah, so kind of having that exposure to pro racing, how pro racing works like the style is so different racing with radios double team car all these little things was a massive massive difference but to go back yeah it was a great two years um i had a pretty bad injury in 2014 um but kind of managed to to come through that came back did a good avenir kind of just kept progressing um and i think the big two results was like twice on the podium around 23 the age and that kind of opened the door a bit of sky i did a December camp with them, which was pretty insightful. Um, At that moment there, when that door was open to go to Sky for the training camp, were you just sort of jumping for joy, or were you yeah, a definitely. bit like you were? Oh, 100 yeah. percent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as the team, I, I don't know if you know this, probably not, but there's uh, a story the team loves that they did a competition when they launched the team, and uh, they rode around basically the road, the mall where Ride London finishes outside oh, Buckingham yeah. Palace. So they rode around there and. Uh, yeah, competition winners got to join the ride. So Gero, Brad, all those guys were there. And I was on that ride. I bunked off school, age 12 or 13, <laughs> on my old little bike. Uh, I was working in a bike shop at the time. I just kind of started getting into cycling. So I was working on Saturdays to, to earn some money to get new bikes. And that shop actually ended up sponsoring me until I joined Axel's team, kind of oh. once I really started racing at a high level. Um, so, yeah, there's a history of the team as well, yeah. I guess you could say. Um and yeah, it was, you know, I'd grown up watching. They just had their incredible couple seasons, 2012, where, yeah, they were, they were amazing yeah. and spectacular to watch. Not that they haven't been since, but, you know, as a young guy, it was inspirational. Yeah, and they just started. They came on the scene. They were all up against the wall. Everyone wanted them to yeah. do not well, you yeah, know, like, I think oh, let's so, see yeah. them fail, you know, and then they, they were like, nah, we're this super force. So. Yeah. So, yeah, those <laughs> opportunities came and it was massive for me. And they then eventuated as I kind of kept plugging away and as you do showing that you're not a one-hit wonder and that you're mm. consistent uh, in a stagiaire 
Um, initially, it was a really good stagiaire program. Um, and it was actually my kind of decision that I didn't race with them more. Mm. In the end, I only did um, Milan, Torino, was it? Or one of those Italian races I did. I can't remember which one it was now. At the end of the year. Yeah, one of those one days in the, in the piercing rain. It was mm. freezing. I was in the break all day on a bike I'd just got, I think, two days before. Uh, cramped after 200k or whatever as you can imagine new saddle new everything and I remember I went back to the group and it was like 10k to go and I had like three or four teammates in there and they all climbed off oh and I just remember like I didn't know what to do I just got all this like amazing Rafa gear which was another link actually I Rafa supported me since I was 14 yeah I grew up a stone throw from Simon and all those guys and have some amazing friends at the company so that was a lovely link that I actually did their last ever race with Sky in the Japan Cup, oh. which was my other race as a stagiaire. Cool. Um, but yeah, it was you know it was an amazing opportunity and racing with guys like Bernie and Swifty and, and stuff like that was just really enjoyable. Japan was by no means uh, a race, I would say. Yeah. We I think we got there and we spent four days in Tokyo without our bikes, <laughs> <laughs> and then we got a train to uh, Utsunomiya where the race is and rode our bikes the morning of the crit and did the crit. You're like, oh, I guess this is how we do it. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it's really different from what you expect and you really want to make the most of the opportunity, but also you don't want to be the only guy that doesn't go to the karaoke bar at midnight, you know? Yeah, it's a fine line. Yeah, so, uh, oh, it was amazing. You know, it was like seeing both sides of it. It was awesome. See, going to those Italian races where like there was whatever, nine, eight guys there and not one of them wanted to be there. Yeah. and just you'll, you know they're all like on the and you're like so keen yeah and you know now i see the other side of you're it. trying yeah, not to yeah. look too keen but you're like yeah, oh, no, it's the biggest be, opportunity yeah. of your life and it's a team you've dreamed of since you were a kid and so then tell me tell me about that decision then because it sounds like to me everything was lining up for you to be like go there the next year and especially if the contract was offered and i don't know if that was mm. what was that decision to go you know what i'm not quite ready yeah, I mean, the, the contract was offered. Um, I It was really difficult. Really, and I did, I, I'm a firm believer that actually in the end, you're faced with a lot of decisions in life and a lot of the time you fret and you worry if you are making the right or wrong decision. But I think in the end, you, you never know. You can't mm. predict the future. No. Um, so you just have to go with what you think's right at the time, but also maybe what the people you trust most think is right. Mm. Um, and then Did you, you have just have to make the most of it. Like yeah. you pick that opportunity and it's up to you to make it the right decision, I mm. think. Um, it was really hard. There was a lot of people I'd respected a long time, especially within the team, uh, saying, yeah, you, you, know, you should sign and, and they're offering the contract. And like you say, it's really difficult to turn down your dream, I guess. Mm. Um, but I was really lucky. I had some great people around me, like Axel. Mm. I think for me, Axel's best trait is that he is one of the most patient people I've ever met. Mm. And for him, everything is in perspective. And, you know, I can't imagine what it was like for him to grow up in Belgium, the son of the most famous Belgian ever. And he's the most humble, down-to-earth person I've ever met. Mm. Um, and a huge mentor for me. Actually, yeah, cycling, racing, whatever, but just as a person and yeah. as a human is like one of my, yeah, my closest advisors and we still speak probably every week or, or mm. two now. Um, so it was great having him. 
you know, at the end, obviously, like you have your agents and everything and, and everyone in the end, the shit thing is everyone says, oh, but it's up to you. You have to decide. And you're like, yeah, but I've put all these people in place yeah. to help me. Like you're the guys who need to help me in this hardest of moments. Um, but as you and know, yeah, I just went for it. I said, you know what? I, the biggest thing for me actually was I hadn't won any races. Yeah. I'd been on the podium a lot in pro races, in under 23 races, best young rider jerseys, all this shit. Yeah. But I hadn't put my hands in the air. And I didn't want to, I, I didn't think it was right to go to the next level without having done that. I think that would have been a big mistake. Mm. Um, and it's not like I did it prolifically this, the next year. I won, um, I think, three or four races the next year, but I was national champion. I yeah, I had a one-day race win, um, stages and stuff. So, mm. yeah, I think in hindsight, probably both would have worked. I think I would have made both work, mm. but I think it was a good decision. Um, you see a lot of guys maybe that they move up too early, I, I believe. I think that you made the... The exact point there, whatever decision you make, it's your decision. And I know those advisors said to you, you've got to make that decision. But I think that's also right to say because I'm often like you looking for someone else to make that call because ultimately you, if something doesn't go right, this is how I think, you can go, well, so-and-so told me to do this. That's his bloody fault. But if you actually make that decision, you make the final call, you're going to make it right because you believe... No, I said I was going to do this. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, the pressure's back on you. And I think that's awesome that you said, I want to throw my hands in the air before I go pro. You know, you made that, that goal for the next year. And maybe that was also the switch from the years, the two years, from winning from podiums to winning, you know. And yeah. And it was a lot of pressure, I think. I remember the next year at Tour of California, um, Bobby Dulick was there, the American, great rider, podium of the tour, great pro. He'd been at Sky previously. That was when I first met him. And he was directing there for George Hincapie's team. And he walked up to me this first night of the race, so before the race had started. He said, Tail, how are you, man? How's it going? Wow, you've got big balls turning down sky. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the moment it really sunk in that like, I was like, fuck, have I made a big mistake? Like, yeah. You know, then you're like going to the biggest race of the season or close, and you're like, yeah, fuck, I really need to perform here because cycling's fickle and you can be wanted one second and there was no by the way you mentioned it earlier there was no kind of like you know like okay but you can sign now for next year or yeah as far as i started january 1st i was again same situation as as the previous january um which i think is correct yeah um and then yeah it's really up to you to 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 show again yeah uh, that you're that you're worth it which is the same in pros in my opinion i think you know, it's uh, always a fine line between you're one step away from greatness and, and equally you're, you're one step away from, you know, going and being on, on the street doing, doing a normal job of everyone else. Exactly. As you know, you're only as good as your last race. You win yeah. that last week and you get dropped this exactly. week. Everyone yeah. remembers that you got dropped. I got a really good friend who he got like a load of awesome stickers and uh, bottles made up. Um, and all they said on them in massive capital letters, excuse us swearing, was own your shit. Mm. And that is a great motto for any walk of life and especially bike racing because you think that we're one of a massive organization. Mm. You know, there's like 25 plus riders, 50, 70, 80 staff. And there's a lot of guys more important than you or I in, in both our teams. You have to be the one that owns your career, especially as a young guy, because 
you, you, if you have a problem, you don't have the experience to solve it yourself. You need to find the, the person to do it within yeah. the team. And you see a lot of guys get lost in teams. I think if you have that motto, in my opinion, you can't go wrong as, as long as you're owning your shit by finding the people who help you own that shit. Totally. Um, and it's a tricky, it's a tricky sport to, to navigate. You know, you can be on the top of under 23s and into the pros and who are you? No one. So, and that's right. And that realization and, and understanding of that needs to come quickly. Because it, and as you said, two years goes two years does fast. go fast. Yeah. All right, let's quickly move on because we, we I did want to talk about the um, the Giro today because you're a couple of days away from it. Um, like I said, your first Grand Tour last year. How did you feel? How did you like that? Yeah, I loved it. I think it was a, a big taster of um, of what I hope to do in the future, and I made some massive mistakes there, more so in the build up. I was up here at altitude the, the two weeks before and I was actually in a really good place and yeah, I was just so motivated and I just wanted to be good so bad and knew there was going to be big opportunities there that I just cooked myself. Mm. I was looking back the other day at you know, the beauty of all the resource we have is you can look back at exactly what you did every day and it's mental what I did. I don't, know, I, I don't know what I was doing. Did a grand tour before it? I bet, yeah, I did Burgos. I did San Sebastian Burgos, came straight up here I had one day easy and then I just banged out 32 hours, which oh. if there's any kids listening at home, don't do that. Do not do it. I was like, trying to get 30 hours this week. I fell short, 29. I don't, I don't know so how it, yeah, yeah. Impossible. Uh, yeah, it's like, uh, you know, that's a big week in training, but you you just don't need to do it, um, yeah, the week before your first Grand Tour. And I was in a really good place, so I actually, you know, I used, in hindsight, I used up my good legs in, in the training, um, mm. which is the most stupid thing any pro can do in my opinion well that's right you've got to learn and you've got to learn for those mistakes we can just pause it for a second no you're right you can yeah just that sun's coming out alright um, the Giro let's talk about the race this year because I've had a quick look through stage one time trial it's actually a bit of a time trial more than a prologue because it's a little uphill finish. Um, pretty solid, actually, in my opinion. Um, then we move through lumpy, lumpy through stages, you know, two to seven, which I think will be sort of solid but not crazy. You got a little flat stage there before a really solid time trial again. Then you know, stages ten to eleven, nice and flat, pancake flat. The typical. Giro stages where they don't actually show one. It's like someone's just drawn a ruler line in the profile and you're like, can't be that flat. <laughs> Hopefully they are for you. There's always someone hoping it's that flat. <laughs> Stage 12 sort of a medium one and then literally 13 to 17 are ridiculous. <laughs> like ridiculous. I was just laughing as I'm chicken through. I'm like, no way, no way. And then, you know, 18 looks like it's a downhill stage. I love those ones. 1920, like ridiculously hard if you've got anything left. And then stage 21's a time trial um, to finish. You've probably had a look through yourself. What are you thinking of the race? Yeah, I mean, well, first off, you definitely know what to expect more than I. Done a few uh, holidays around around Italy in the past. Um, but I've raced there a bit and I know kind of how they structure races and yeah, how they, how they like to do it. Um, 
My motto is not to look too, too close because I think unless you're really going there to wreck it, then yeah, when you get to the race on Wednesday, that's a good time to start having a, mm-hmm. a delve. Otherwise, I guess like you need to know the general structure, obviously, for planning your training yep. and how fresh to go in and, and all of this. But that aside, I think you know the, the race is going to stay pretty static, mm-hmm. weather aside, until you get there. And we get so much information from the team um that said like the beauty of the internet i guess now is that you know even when you get those road books where you know that it's not true that profile they've put in there you can go on the internet and with the gpx and stuff you can see the reality and and everyone's so well informed in cycling now you know like everyone knows where it's going to go often and there's less and less surprises i guess but it's part of part of the sport and you know mad stuff still happens what do you think of those okay a couple things what are you thinking about those little uphill TTs? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that first TT is beautiful. I've done that climb before up to the Basilica in, in Bologna. You see it uh, every year in the Giro d'Emilia, which is one of the Italian classics at the end of the year. That's a super hard climb, especially yeah. on a TT bike. But, yeah, for me, I think it would be, be decent. Um, I, I can't say I wouldn't have preferred, like, a flatter one simply because I think it's better for me to put time into, like, little, little guys. But... At the same time, a TT is different, isn't it? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm really, I, I think it makes it a little bit tricky for me to go a bit technical, like to know how fresh to go in because I think if you're too fresh on that day, you'll pay. Mm. Whereas on a flat one, you could probably get away with it a bit more. Mm. But then you've got some days after where, yeah, you say they're lumpy, but I have a real feeling they're going to be real controlled. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you've still got like the Italian pro Conti teams and the pro Conti teams in general trying to get up the road for the jerseys and stuff. Yeah. But you've got so many sprinters going this year and they all know their race ends after day 12 yeah. uh, by the look of it. I think most of them are doubling up with the tour from what yeah. I've heard. So that means you've got all those teams invested in making sure there's a sprint every day. Yeah. Um, which combined with the back heavy mountains I believe probably means won't be fireworks in that first week mm. which is the weird thing about race organisers making crazy hard last weeks is does it give you a snooze fest before yeah. that I don't know we'll see probably you- not it's Italy it's the Giro it's bike racing there's always someone that wants to have it but it's modern cycling yeah modern cycling whatever that means I don't know I've heard that a lot <laughs> I still not worked out what it means full gas all the time <laughs> what do you think of that back half because it was yeah. just hilarious yeah it looks savage it. yeah it there's so- one day over 5,000 metres climbing I don't think I've ever done that before and it backs up it's like yeah. I think the next day is like bam, four bam, or something bam, bam. Yeah. yeah yeah no it'll be interesting I think I think that type of racing from my experience probably the biggest thing is like looking after yourself and just being so professional and attentive to those tiny details in the two weeks before. And what do I mean by that? Obviously that's like bullshit general terms. Like that's just media speak. I guess I mean like with your weight, making sure you don't underfuel, don't overfuel, which is probably the hardest thing in cycling in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, with your expenditure of energy, mm-hmm. you know, everyone feels great that first few days, but that was definitely one of the things that was my kind of downfall in the Vuelta was we had the jersey from stage two and we had some savage starts um, where the break was, you know, trying to go for a long time. And I think I invested a lot in that first week. Um, but, you know, it was a great experience at the, at the same yeah, time. Yeah, you just, I, I can hear what you're saying because you just do little things that you just like, 
Oh, I'm just sort of helping him right yeah. in the wind here. If it's your job to look after someone, it's your job to look after someone. But in a There's three-week race... There's two ways of doing it. Yeah. You know, like he doesn't actually need you to sit in the wind there. Yeah. He can get a sit. That's something I've kind of um, tried to be more on it with this year. So like in Alps, for example, there was a day that I had to work all day and somehow I still managed to win. Um, and it was definitely a case of like, okay, just be as smart as possible with your work. You know, in, in the end, you have to be there for your leader. You're doing what you're doing. And, and even though we were only a few seconds apart, he had the jersey. Mm. And I'm a firm believer that if you honour that in that situation, it will come back to you eventually. But I still wasn't silly with it. And in the past, I think I would have just, especially with good legs, you can just do everything. Yeah. And then, you know, you, then maybe you cost yourself the win. Yeah. So it's something I think that some teams are better than others at is like, I think definitely in our team, sometimes we really prioritize being safe. Yeah. And like, you know, we have GC a lot, so you're always thinking GC, GC. And the best way to do well in GC is often to be conservative. Mm. But in a five-day race at a lower level, you can also afford to just race. And, and just burn some matches. And yeah, I guess like to be a little, it's not a great word, but to be a bit greedy and, you know, like, oh, let's win. T- we won yesterday. We're in the GC, but why don't we win tomorrow? Like, why don't we win today? That's our job. So why not? Exactly, because I think sometimes you fall short, you, you become too content straight away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've won, okay, our race is done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, you know, Yeah, like you've got to have said, that desire every day, I think. I think it's yeah. really, if you can, like, recognize that, I think it's quite powerful because then you're just always hungry to chase it. Um, yeah. And maybe that's a good thing about winning is it just reminds you how good it is. You know, it's been a little while for me, a couple of years. Um, that's something we've completely missed here is the Tour of the Alps, which was... I quite like that, though. That's the stuff that gets reported on, like... But, like, I know, think... Races are, are always in the news. I was about to ask you, how are you feeling coming into those last sort of stage 13 onwards? Yeah. And I was thinking, are you... Does that something that scares you? But coming out of, say, a race like Tour of the Alps, I can imagine... And if anyone doesn't know, there, you know, two stage wins, second on GC, his teammate won the GC overall. So you guys were on fire there. And it's a, a really tough race. Does that give you confidence now going to such a, a savage end of the Giro that you're like, I don't have to be scared of that stuff. I can actually race. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a different ball game. Um, but, you know, it's a completely different race, different level. We had Vincenzo and Rafa at at the Alps, but that's nothing compared to, well, not, not to take anything away from them, but then you look at the depth of the yeah. Giro with Yatesy and, and those guys, it's going to be super Dumoulin, all those guys. So it does give me confidence. I think more it gave me confidence for these two weeks between Alps and Giro to really stick to my plan, do exactly what I'd set out in my training already a month ago mm. and not to overdo it, which was... Already I was like steadfast. I was not going to overdo it and, and just really try to be smart purely because of where we were last year. But I guess, yeah, when you have confirmation that you're already kind of in a decent place, then you can really have that perspective to just like focus on tweaking rather than chasing. Mm. And that's a nice place to be. Yeah, nice. That's, that so, is nice. Let it soak in. Yeah, it's a long race. So my whole year since kind of January when I got like more or less the thumbs up from the team that I'd be on the long list for the Giro and kind of the, yeah, okay, you can go for it. That's a good objective. The whole time of, you know, then I looked at the Giro, I said, okay, it's back heavy. My job isn't the first 10 days. Um, chances are I wasn't even going to race the TTs. You know, if 
obviously now we know that Egan's not going to be there but if Egan was there I probably would have been told to, to soft pedal those days even so it, it would have been you know really about the the stages you've just mentioned the savage ones onwards um so I've kind of really tried to bear that in mind and plan everything into that and we'll see if it pays off it's always a gamble but uh I guess every year you try different little things yeah. and you learn and and you see how it goes let's speak about it you yeah. know Bernal he's had a crash yesterday um, yeah. pretty hot off the press and unfortunately, he was one of the big favourites coming into this. Now, not going to be able to start, broke his collarbone. Where does that leave you and where does that leave the team? How are you thinking now? Yeah, I mean, it completely changes the the whole race for the team, essentially. It, could, it couldn't change it more, really, just from, from taking that one guy out. But yeah, he, he was the leader. So I'm super sad for Egan. We, we spoke yesterday and he sounded in good spirits. I think he's a very good character for seeing silver linings and, and just putting it into perspective and, and he's amazing you know, he's been working for this for six seven months but he was already talking about what's next and coming back and he's he's uh he's a special special person there uh, he's faced some pretty big adversity already last year i think with you know he broke his uh or separated his shoulder in the last day of catalonia come back a few weeks a month later maybe and, and won in romandy um and then he had probably one of the worst crashes I've ever seen onto his face in, in San Sebastian. It was a pretty um, tough moment for me um, as well. Oh, he doesn't actually remember it, luckily. And he came back and he was really, he was animating the race in Lombardia. So, you know, like there's not many people that can do that. So I've no, no doubt he'll be back soon. And, and for us, you know, it's just about reconfiguring, I guess, and, and yeah, ironically, it does massively open some doors for me. Mm. Um, I go from very much a, a worker role, um, trying to be kind of the key man for Egan or, or one of in a, in a really strong depth squad to, yeah, I think Pavel and I will have some big chances to see how the race goes and yeah, either chase the brakes, but I think initially try and play for the GC at least to see what happens yeah, yeah. exactly exactly. go yeah, as it, deep as you can it's a long holiday isn't it 21 yeah. days like by the you know you can love your in-laws at the start and by the end you don't want to ever see them again so <laughs> anything I, anything can happen so yeah I don't know it's it's when you think of the the guys that are there it's really weird in cycling this year in my opinion there's more big names doing the Giro than the Tour yeah um, it seems like everyone's doing the Giro who, so, so that's pretty mad, but who do you think? I've, got, I've written, written down the favourites here. Okay, Dumoulin, Yates, Vincenzo, Rogelik. Yeah, and I've thrown Lopez in there. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. What I do think, you think? I think for me, uh, Simon is yeah. my big favourite. I think in the Giro last year, he was incredible, absolutely incredible. I watched. I was in. I was with your teammate actually. I was with a good friend of mine, McClay, mm-hmm. Dan McClay. Um, we were in Utah, so yeah, the best thing about being in the States, in my opinion, is that if you're there in July or May, you can wake up and it's like 50k to go, mm. you can eat your porridge, watch the race, get a bit motivated, go out training. There's like yeah. maybe correlation there why I've had a good, uh, <laughs> a good May, June the last few years. Um, Simon was incredible. Yeah. And then, you know, like obviously it didn't go to plan um, and I was pretty sad for him, I think. You know, my teammate won. What Froome did was incredible, but Simon was also amazing. He made that race so good to watch for, yeah. for that two and three quarter weeks. Um, and then, you know, he came to the Vuelta and he showed that 
you know, he was, he learned or he'd made changes, I don't know, whatever. Mm. And he won and he was, yeah, again, he was amazing. And it was a different style that he won, which I thought was most interesting. Yeah, it was. Like he wasn't going out on the back foot. Like like even that last day on Lagaina, like Mm. the climb we were talking about and, and nearby the other day, he looked like he probably could have gone with Lopez and Mass, but I think he was just like, he knew he had it in the bag and he's just not taking any risks. And, you know, it's just like, okay, if I go like a little bit easier than I have to, but I still stay in touch with them, then I'm really like secure, you know, like not That's going to my limit. thinking like that, isn't it? Like, But it's like, that is, it, you know, know, it's that kind of weird thing. Like, it's it, like and it's confidence. the opposite of the Giro. It's yeah. the opposite of the Giro. Because in the Giro, who's so confident as well, but it was like this, you know, gallivanting, amazing attacking display that you really don't see often in, in mm. cycling. And the the sheer tenacity of it, there was days he was going from long. Do you think and though, he was going? I'm thinking about do you think it was a period where Yatey was thinking, you know what, I've got this good run, I'm just gonna see how long it goes for. Whereas when he in the Giro, whereas when he came to the Vuelta, he's like, I know I can win it now. The Giro uh, showed I don't, me I'm no, gonna smarter. No, I don't agree. I think they were being really calculated and they just said, right, these are the days we have ch- t- uh, chances to take time. Mm. Uh, we need this amount of time on Dumoulin. You know, everyone's got their computers that run their whatever it is to predict these things now. And I think he knew what he had to do and he did it. And then he did an amazing TT. Mm. Um, he didn't lose nearly as much as anyone thought. And then the wheels just fell off, but yeah. that's bike racing. And I think in the Vuelta, he then had the... Yeah, like you say, confidence perspective, but and a different route mm. and uh, different ad, ad, adversaries. Um, but yeah, I think I saw a nuts statistic today that I think every race Roglic has what has done. Sorry, since last year April, he's won at the GC except for fourth in the Tour, which Jesus. is pretty insane. There might have been one second in there, perhaps. It was just something. It was something mad. There was a lot of ones. It, it, like for a year, there was a lot of ones. Um, so I, I, he must be one of the favourites now. He's, he's just won again today in Romandie GC. Um, and in my opinion, Tom Dumoulin is one of, if not the best GC riders in the world. Mm. Um, so for me, those are the three favourites, and it's two kind of. Ah, they're different, I guess. You know, like they're all a little bit different. And then yeah, like you say, wild cards, Lopez. Um, do you feel intimidated that you're going to be riding up with those guys at the pointy end on the climbs, or you feel like that's your place now? Well, at first, I hope to be at the pointy end. I'm sure I you're think, going to be there at some yeah, point. Yeah, I hope so. Know? Yeah. Um, no, I think – no, I don't think so. I think, you know, you're in the World Tour. You're on a big team. You've got to get stuck in. Even when I was on a small team, like national team, I remember plenty of times where those guys shouting at us, but you got to get stuck in. Like, it's racing, Just get isn't on it? with it. Just the road's there – if you're in the race, you deserve to be there. As long as you don't do anything stupid, which you know all of us do from time to time, but you try not to. You try to respect your colleagues. And when it comes down to the climbs, in the end, the legs, the legs is what counts. Yeah, I remember plenty of times in Tour of California, like this, the second two times I was on action, where guys would push you off wheels on the climbs, and then a few k later they'd go backwards, and you just like think, oh, well, that was a waste of time. Wasn't it? You know, <laughs> you're still there, like fine. So now I think I, I think the best thing to be is just excited for it you know and it's a big journey you learn so much 21 days of racing yeah anything can happen i mean guys from my generation are really starting to to come through now enrique was on the podium in in the vote last year shackman's been flying this year 
it's weird for me today. I just watched Yorkshire before you got here. And Chris Lawless, who he's a character. I've known him since I very first started cycling. Like one of my very first races, he Big was there. Big rugby league fan. Big rugby league fan. Uh, Wigan, whatever. What's their team called? Wigan. I I'm not a rugby league fan. Wigan. Oh, in the UK. Yeah, I can't remember what I don't the team's know called. Team. I'm, I'm Wigan, the they're from Wigan. Team. Brad supports them as well. Yeah. Um, but he won. He won Yorkshire today. And Greg attacked, you know, Olympic champion, flat out Greg Van Avermaet. And he was in the wheel looking comfortable and, yeah, won the GC, which is, I think it's something special. I was talking to Max Shackman on Bora about it at Liège whilst we were freezing our awesome. tits off, yeah. And uh, we were saying, oh, it's pretty cool. Like, there's Gordu in, in Romandie run a stage. There's a lot of guys from that 95, 96, 94 year just killing it so it's pretty cool I think that's a good uh, way to have belief mm. you know guys that you've kicked their heads in before if they're now winning on the biggest level then you're like okay well I can too Yeah. and then you do it and you're like oh yeah I can so that's yeah, it. now I want to do it yeah. more yeah I guess so yeah I always think like the big riders have the most confidence of like um, putting everything into perspective mm. like they're the guys that take the most time off that get the most unfit that then train the hardest because they have that confidence. So it's amazing how much of it boils down to something as simple as that, I guess. Mm. Let's um, talk about the most beautiful race in the world, that, which they often talk about the Giro, and you're going to find out that sometimes it's not so beautiful. <laughs> but it can be beautiful too. It is a really nice place to race. What are your thoughts now going to do the Giro and your, like you said, you've, what are your thoughts on the race? Because you've watched it from afar. You've watched it from as a junior growing up. And then, like you said, last year, you followed it really closely. What are some things that you're, you're really looking forward to being about in Italy for a month? Yeah, I guess, like, like you say, good and bad. I think you have to expect the unexpected. Definitely on this team, we've had that a lot in the past. But, you know, the big leader has not finished the race more than he's finished it in the last five, six years. Um, but... I love racing in Italy. I think the fans are great. Last year in in Trenti, in in Alps, sorry, it was making me laugh that there was fans and they'd be like, "Vai, vai, Chris, vai, Froom, vai, Froom," and then like one second later they'd see Vincenzo Nibali, and they'd be, "Vai, Vincenzo, vai, Vincenzo," in, you know, and they're supporting cycling. Yeah, I love that. I think that's great. I think sometimes everything gets a bit. Uh, I don't know what the word is, like nationalistic or whatever yeah. you'd say, like you know, and. I'm a huge football fan talking yeah. of other sports and you know you support your team but you also love football and I, sport, I watch yeah. all the premiership matches and and I love the big battle at the moment between City and Liverpool we've got the Champions League coming next week and I'll watch every minute of all those games even though my team isn't playing yeah. and I think in Italy you really see that like the Tifosi as they're known you know, they're, they're, they love their race. Yeah, you like you say, they're so proud of it. They yeah. say it's the most beautiful race, the hardest, mm. the one with the most grin. So, you know, all these cliches. And Italy's a, a good place for superlatives, like the pizza's the best, you know, it's the home of coffee, the espresso's <laughs> the, the, the strongest. And I, I, was, I think it was you, I remember, I think it was you, talking about, like, trying the coffee in each hotel, whether it was good or bad. Yeah. Yeah. So I, for, like... I don't know, six or, no, I think seven years, seven years ago, uh, a friend of mine who's actually head of marketing at one of your sponsors, Rafa, gave me a small hand grinder. 
like most of the guys travel with. And from for our, and and he showed me how to make a, a filter coffee. Um, I was, would have been fifteen at the time. I think I just started drinking coffee. Yeah, yeah right. Straight. It's like cycling, isn't it? I yeah. guess. Yeah. I actually started when I was working at the bike shop, and I remember I used to go get the round in, and I always ordered a mocha because I thought, wow, this coffee's disgusting, and I kind of figured that like if it was a mocha, they couldn't rip me too much. Yeah. And then I just, and then you just get hooked, don't you? Yeah. Just barrels on. But yeah, it's like a big debate for me this week. Should I take my coffee stuff? Because you I have like a real setup. I have yeah. a real setup. Like I think I did AeroPress for about five years. And then I went to just like the plain V60 like comb filter. Now I'm on the Clever Clever Dripper. Wow. Which gives you a little bit more flavor and strength. And I really like the filter coffee, I think. Yeah. The, the length of it is very non-Italian. It's long. It's slow. It's relaxing it is a nice period process yeah, is drinking exactly it, and know? espresso is all about getting it down the hatch and yeah. getting off down the mine and digging out that coal yeah. and then screaming <laughs> at someone and getting back to your missus whereas the the you know the long fill coffee is like the perfect antidote to cycling it's relaxed you you have your process take it down um, to breakfast yeah sit set, yeah i actually on. do it after breakfast in the oh. room i just like that moment my girlfriend's got into this thing like mid last year. She probably massively regrets it now where she always bakes me like a, a batch that's meant to last me the, the race. Uh, normally I eat most of them the first few of days. What? But of cookies. Of, of not cookies. Cook, I hate that word. Of biscuits. That's oh, the yeah. English word. Yeah. Uh, she's made these really good orange or lemon polenta ones, oh. which is super nice um, and not too crazy unhealthy or anything. Not that that massively matters at a race, but have one of them, have my coffee, sit on my bed, I love the mornings. I'm a real morning person and just having that, even if it's only 10, 20 minutes, having that moment to myself is great. Do you set the alarm a little early so you get that extra time? Mm, no, nah, I wake up early anyway. Mm. I'm pretty much 7.38, eyes open. So normally you have at least an hour. Yeah, uh, There's not many races where you're kind of earlier than that, but I guess there will be in Majira on a few <laughs> big days. But I've actually been known to even do the filter on the, on the bus or something and use the microwave to heat the water. But to go back to the story, massive debate at the moment because we're lucky enough to have a coffee machine with the team, which is amazing to have. And obviously Italy has a huge coffee culture as well. Mm. But there's just something that is so calming in my process. So it's what do I lug around this two and a half kilos of or two kilo of coffee beans and, and uh, filters and this new upgraded grinder I got last year that's mega and all these little you know bits. Uh, maybe not to use it but is it like a safety belt just to have it there just in case you've got that long TT morning where you just want to sit in the room you don't want to see anyone you'll regret it if you don't I think I will I I wasn't going to take it to Alps because I said to my girlfriend it's it's in Italy it will be great coffee and I took it and I used it every day so the thing is too on those long mornings you can only drink so many like espresso coffee yeah I also think it's bad to drink too many and with espresso you do end up doing that whereas there's something, even here now, at home with my machine, I'll have, yeah, three or four. Mm. And it's only a small basket, so it's not an awful amount. It's, you know, it's half of one of the kind of newer, modern 22-gram beasts. But, um, you know, here I just make one. It's like, yeah, maybe 400 grams I normally do. Um, so it's not huge, and it's kind of two, like, medium-sized mugs. And then you enjoy that while it's there, and... You know, I, every single morning I check the thing. Oh, it's all gone down. But then you're like, okay, I'm ready for the day. Yeah. What's it going to throw at me out on the roads? I don't know. But 
it's funny how it's so endemic in cycling now. When I started, I remember like so many people just looking at me like, what are you doing? Especially with the AeroPress because it looks weird. Yeah. But now even with the Clever Dripper, you get some, like all the Italians think you are absolutely nuts. <laughs> um, but there's so many guys doing it and I and girls. And I think the, the reason is, is that it's a just moment. The yeah. process, the control. We yeah. don't have any control. People don't understand that i was trying to explain it to someone the other day like we don't have any control we half the time we don't know where we are it's like your family say oh where are you in, in italy oh i don't know we played a game last year on the giro every night at the dinner table you had to when we moved you had to come in and you had to present something someone had to present <laughs> an idea of <laughs> what is great. famous for this town yeah i love that because I was they had like, that in Alps in the road book i noticed it yeah, people don't really look at the road book anymore because you know it's like you've got all this you know, yeah. electronic stuff. But I noticed in the road book for every stage, so Kufstein was the first stage where we started the world's road race on the way to Innsbruck. And it had like the the typical food of Kufstein, mm. like the what it's known for. That the, would have been the like famous the cheat, landmark. cheat sheet for that game. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. It would have been. That would have been funny if someone had realized that no one else had. Yeah. But I like that. That's cool. Like, it's easy to close your eyes, isn't it? And in my opinion, the bike is the best way to see the world. But racing a bike, maybe not so much. You're in the bus, you're in a chaotic race, you're tired. But sometimes it is nice to try and, if there is that, in that moment in the race, sometimes yeah. I do it, stop and just quickly look left and right. I especially do it when I'm in Paris Nice because you go through really nice wine regions. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> really? On. Yeah. Really, I didn't see that in the 80 mile an hour winds and uh, driving rain. Not every day. But guys flying <laughs> left, right and centre. But even, especially Italy, because Italy, as you know... like Is that why people were going off the road to pick wine or is <laughs> that crashing? Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree 100%. Italy is like, all that stuff is so famous. You're like, oh yeah. my God, we're on San Pellegrino. Yeah. That's yeah, where yeah. the water comes from. I don't you know, know if you know this story, but um, my first year I was in Girona was Miller's last winter as a pro. Um, and... He was putting together at the time a book which was the previous tour. Every day he'd written his two sons a postcard. Mm. Just like really brief. I don't think it was much about bike racing, but a synopsis of the day. Um, and the postcard was from somewhere where the hotel was or the finish, whatever. And looking back now, like it's an amazing thing to do because it just does draw you out of the hotel. Mm. It's so easy to, you know, we go to these hotels, we go in a back entrance that the staff have, you know, cannily worked out. And then we go to the room, we go to the food, or we go to massage, we go back to our room, and then we leave. Mm. Like most, I was thinking, how many people stay in, what, 80 hotels a year, 70, and never use the shower? And I do shower, by the way, but on the bus. Yeah. Like, it's, it's bizarre, like, the life we live. But he was going and finding these postcards every day, and it's impressive because I don't think that would be an easy feat. But mm. he was I, doing it. And to I look back to, on. I have to do the after-dinner walk every night oh, yeah. just to do, like, where am I? <laughs> so I come out, and it literally is, like, five That is not modern minutes. cycling, I don't think. Come That's out. Like I've got to walk the dinner off. Love it. Because we always eat way too much. I'm like, oh, I've got to go for a walk. And it'll be, like, five, ten minutes. Sometimes a lot of the streets are crap. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, okay, I know where I am. But yeah. sometimes you're like... Wow, we're here. Did you race with Johnny Clark when you were younger? I did when oh, I was okay. very young. He, yeah. He's a really good friend of mine. We raced a lot together in the States. Mm. And he always did that at races. Yeah. And even actually when we tr did a few training camps together, he did it in, in America. And uh, it always made me, made me laugh. You'd, 
there was a few races I'd look out the window and I'd see little pot-bellied Johnny, I hope he's not going to listen to this because he'll kill me, eating too much. You can just, like eating too much and uh, just walking around the car park. And he was oh, like God. that into the into the the dinner walk that he like, you know, even just doing laps of the car park. Oh, I loved it. It made me laugh so much. You're a great guy. Just like, it, that's a cyclist in their routine. They know what they like. They know what works for them. <laughs> Stick to it. Well, there you go. You can do that on behalf of Johnny and me. <laughs> Mate, well, we've probably been crapping on all night. You've got to yeah. get yourself ready. Heading back to Girona tomorrow. Yeah. To the Giro the following day. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the pod. All right. Pleasure, Mitch. Thank really you for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Good luck Cheers, over buddy. there. I'm going to be watching you. Thanks, mate. I hope that's given you a little insight to that brutal Giro that lays ahead and how young Teo is going to attack it. I want to say thanks again to my producer behind the scenes, Lara, and everyone out there for listening in and sending in your feedback. Keep listening and reaching out to me through the interwebs and sending in all those questions and future ideas for upcoming pods. I love that. Next up, I'm going to do a mid-Giro review with a special guest, so hang in there for that episode. And until then, ciao, and enjoy watching that Giro.